Happy New Year's, everyone. Did anyone travel by any chance, or you're here because you're traveling from SoCal? Uh, you're here because you're uh, back home. Welcome back. And if you were gone uh, during the holidays, uh, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here. Uh, did anyone actually travel? You show of hands. One, two, okay, three, four. A few of you guys. You guys traveled. Okay. A few of you guys did, and it's good. Um, hope you, I hope you guys had a good time with your, whether it's like with your friends or family, and I hope that it was restful for some of you that are students here, uh, that you're able to just kind of refresh before you get back to the grind of studying. Um, yeah, I remember back then when I was in college, even in seminary, uh, Christmas was always special because I get to sleep in a little bit just to recharge. Uh, that's all gone when, you have a, when you're parents. Like, there's no such thing as sleeping in or on time. <laughs> Well, if you're new here, uh, just to kind of catch, to catch you guys up, we're doing a series on why we believe what we believe. Uh, we've been going through this the last semester, the last quarter, and the last few months. And the reason why we're going through this series is that we want to help uh, recalibrate our mind and our focus. Uh, this is a relatively new ministry, and I want us to make sure that we know why we believe what we believe. Now, we talk about membership, and um, you know, we talk about the membership meeting, and there are a lot of people that are part of our church, and they will agree with our documents, uh, but they don't know why they believe what they believe. And the hope is that this series will give you a better insight, not just in terms of like a check in the box, like, well, I agree with this, I agree with this, but also explain in your heart why you believe what you believe. Uh, there will come a time and day in your life where people will challenge your faith, and they'll ask you, why do you hold to church membership? Or why do you hold to, uh, to this view on sanctification? Why do you hold to this end-time view? And you, uh, being in this church, you should be able to be equipped and know how to answer all of these types of questions. That's our hope. Uh, last time we met, before the Christmas break, we, went, we talked about separation from the world. How you as a Christian, as you are living in a life that is pleasing to the Lord, will either draw people to Christ or, re- or, re- or repel people away from the gospel. And how you live, how you're separated from the world makes you distinct. That's what makes Christians, that's what God calls us to be. We're called to be a holy and unique people separated from the world for God's purpose. And this evening, we're going to talk about the Great Commission. Why we believe in this Great Commission. A few months ago, I, uh, I watched this clip on YouTube. And uh, it was like a whole list of different pastors in the San Francisco area. And it's one of those videos where it's like one paragraph long, but it's like spliced up with like 15 different people speaking. You know what I'm talking about? They'll be like one person saying, in the middle of a sentence, they'll switch to another person, and then they just, and in, in the bottom of the corner, they'll tell you like their name and, and uh, their position. So it'll be like Pastor so and so, Reverend so and so. And like the first maybe five seconds of that, it was like, okay, that's it's pretty legit. And the first thing they said was like, we want people in the Bay Area to know God's love. And I was like, Okay, I'm following along there. Now the third person came was like this woman pastor, and I was like, okay, the red flags, okay, we've got discernment came on. But then they were explaining how all these pastors, some of them quote-unquote pastors, uh, are, are, are united on this mission, and they, and they start listing out all of their objectives. They believe that it is God's mandate for all the churches in San Francisco to fight poverty, and they start listing all of these different things. They talk about how they need to fight poverty. They need to make sure that, uh, the LGBTQ people are treated nicely. That uh, there's no uh, that that everyone has fair pay, and all of these different little things that are front of the world. And I remember watching through this thing and thinking, what happens if they actually achieve this? Do these churches like just close shop? Like hey, we're done? Like we have we've, we've accomplished our mission? And when we think, when I was listening to all of these different testimonials, I realized that these people have, have got it wrong. We're in the Bay Area, and a lot of the churches that you'll see just driving around San Francisco, that's how they think. They think that God's calling for the church is to do something uh, in this world, and it has nothing to do with things beyond this life. These churches... It seems like a dozen or so, like, uh, where actually most of the churches in San Francisco um, believe that if you fix this world, this is what God's purpose is for the church. 
And we understand that even like the secular world, there are these missions, these objectives, right? If you're working in a business, there are, there's a mission statement. And the idea is that all that you do in the business, everything that you do in your organization is what has this specific purpose and the driving force for their existence. And usually for businesses, they can talk about how it's, uh, we want to help the environment or whatever, but really it's just trying to make money. They, they, they put all these nice flowery language at the end that they're just trying to make money. That's their mission. But what is the mission of the church? What is the true mission of the church? Is it the things that those liberal churches are saying, how they need to fix the world? Or is it something more? What is the true mission of the church? How does the Bible answer this question? The answer to this question really answers another question, and that other, other question is, why are we still here? As Christians, why are we still here on earth? If heaven is where we want to be, and God delights us to be reconciled to him, why would God leave us here? And Matthew 28 answers that question, gives us a mission, it gives us a directives, it gives us a command on why we are still here. The mission of SFBC in their in our website, has this. Our statement reads, We believe that Christ has commissioned all believers to witness by life and by word the gospel of the gospel to all mankind. We believe that Christ has commissioned all believers to witness by life and by word the gospel to all mankind. And that's a really good statement because it's not just simply declaring the gospel, but you also have to live it out. It is completely pointless to someone if you say that you need Christ and, and Christ has not impacted your own life. So it's both in terms of what you say and what you do. It's, it's both conduct and doctrine. We are left here. The reason why we're left here is revealed in this chapter, in this portion at the end of Matthew 28. We are left here to make disciples of all nations. Our mission here is to Go and draw people to evangelize, to win the law, to be fishers of men. And if God wanted us to, for the sake of simply having knowledge, God would simply take us up the moment we are saved because the only time we have perfect knowledge is in heaven. If God wanted us to be Christian for the sake of singing, then God would have taken, taken us up instantly the moment we're saved because the only t- place that we can sing perfectly is in heaven. If God wanted us to be saved for the sake of just fellowshipping with one another, then God would have just taken us up immediately into heaven because only in heaven can we have true fellowship without the effect of sin. But God left us here for this particular reason, to go and to make disciples of all nations. This is not just a mission for this church of SFBC, but it's a mission of all true churches, all believers that are following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is their objective. Evangelism, we're fulfilling this great commission, is the mission of the church. All that, we do, all that we do in the church is to help equip us to do that. You're either making disciples with believers in the church, making disciples of Christ with those who do not know him, or you're being disobedient. You're either making disciples of people inside the church, you're cultivating, you're teaching them, you're equipping them to be more Christ-like, or you're drawing people into the church who do not know Christ, or you're being disobedient. If you were to look at every single one of our ministries in this church, it's to, it's, it's to do one of those things. It's to equip young people or equip older people or every believer in the church so that they can be able to live out Christ's life, to be equipped so they know God's word and be able to teach those who do not know Christ. You must be making disciples of Jesus Christ or you're not doing your job. Evangelism is what we're all called to do. Yes, Ephesians 4 tells us there are certain people that are more gifted. There's, this, there's a unique group of people in our church, in every church that are, are uniquely gifted in evangelism. That means they're just more effective and they're, they're, it's easier for them. But that does not mean that it's only for those people. Evangelism is for each and every single one of us. For those who are weaker in our evangelism, it just means that we need to rely on Christ more to go and share the gospel. Evangelism as a spiritual discipline requires us to be disciplined. And by that I mean that in our general everyday life, we actually have to go and pursue the opportunity to share gospel with those who do not know him. 
Right? When you think about your, all the other spiritual disciplines in your life, when you think about prayer, you have to make time for that. When you think about Bible reading, you have to make time for that. When you go to Friday night Bible studies or Sunday morning church, you have to make time for these things. These are all spiritual disciplines that we have to do, and it's the same way for evangelism. But you, evangelism is also unique in that not only can you make a time for it, but that you're also, it's also a lifestyle. How you live out your life is going to draw people to Christ. Evangelism is not passive. For some, that means that we are part of a regular church ministry that meets intentionally to share the gospel with the lost. Uh, in our church, we have that. We have, we have our mercy ministries. Uh, we, have our, we have different outreaches in our church. For others, making the phone call to meet with a person or friend that we've been wanting to share the gospel with. While for some, it's simply just sitting down with our family member in their living room and to persuade them to come to know Jesus Christ. And no matter what scenario and what, or what life stage you're in, it requires that you actually take time and effort to go and share the gospel with people. It is uncomfortable for those who you are sharing. It is uncomfortable. Sharing the gospel is weird. You know, we're telling people that this Jewish man who claims to be God died for your sins. I mean, this is what Paul talked about, how it's, it's foolish to the world. You know, but this is our Savior. It's, it's not supposed to make sense to, the, to a non-believer. But we're still, but that's the gospel that we have. This is how the Lord orchestrated the gospel. And we're supposed to tell people of the judgment that has come if they reject this Savior. Evangelism is uncomfortable. And it forces you to let, forsake those temporal comforts so that your friend or your family or your coworker will find comfort in Christ. Evangelism, evangelism requires you to die to yourself as you proclaim the one that died for them in, hope, in the hopes that the person you're speaking to will come out of their spiritual deadness and into spiritual life. If evangelism is a spiritual discipline, that means that there is also a direct correlation between evangelism and our devotion to God. How closely you walk with the Lord will affect your evangelism. The more you love the Lord, the more you love the things of the Lord, the more you'll do the things that God commands. The more you're devoted to commune with God in your own devotion, and when the more you see how sweet and glorious God is, the more you will want others to know about this God. If God is sweet to you, and, and you will want others to experience and know God in the same way. And if evangelism doesn't matter to you, there is, a there is a reality that perhaps God doesn't matter to you as much as you think. There is a connection between personal holiness, personal devotional to the Lord, and personal evangelism. The question then is, how can we be a better evangelist? How is your personal devotion to the Lord? It's the same question. How, what, how, what, how is your devotional to God's word? How is your time in, in prayer? How is your fellowship with those in the church? How are you fighting sin? How is your walk with Jesus Christ? And all of these things factor in to the, and, and, and changes our desire and impact our evangelism. And perhaps one reason why you're not on fire for evangelism is because your own heart is cold to God. My hope this evening is that we understand God's command, his commission to us, so that we have a greater desire to go and witness to others. But that stems from a love of Christ. All that you learn in Sunday school, your Bible studies, your flock groups, your own devotional time, your Christian life books, every single time you get a chance to study God's word, in any capacity, it is designed to equip you to be a faithful believer and an evangelist. It should never, all the things you've learned should never go to waste. If you are here and God's word is, has not impacted your life or has equipped your mind in any way or, or changed your mind, it would actually be better if you just don't show up because it's a waste of time. Right? You understand this. It's like if, you're, if it doesn't change your life, why are you here? It's, it's like when a person pays for a subscription to a gym and don't, and don't attend and don't, don't make any time to go for it. That's a waste of money. In a much more serious way, if you're here, you claim to be a Christian, you claim that you want to know more about the Bible, but you come to church, and, you're not, and you don't care about God's word, you don't want, and, you don't, and you don't see how God's word impact your life, it would be better for you to just not go to church. 
fact, I think in a biblical principle in Luke 12, 48, it tells us that the more you know about God's word, the more accountable you are to God's word. So you have good doctrines, or in this case, if you know God's command to go and fulfill the Great Commission, and you don't do it, that's sin. James 4, 17, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So in some ways, if you keep coming to church just to acquire knowledge and it doesn't change your life or you don't do anything about it, you're held accountable to that. It's better that you know least, uh, not as much, so that you're not held accountable to those things. Now, I want everyone to come to church, not because I care about numbers, but I hope that God's word would change your mind and will conform you to the image of Christ. So this evening, we're going to look at evangelism or the mission of church in two ways. We're going to look at what is the command or what is the great commission. And our second point is how do we fulfill the great commission. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask you to be with us tonight. Would you allow us to understand what it took for us to be made right with you and the directive that you've given us, the orders and commands for us to make disciples of all nations. Lord, this is your command, it's from your lips, and it's written down for us to know. And Lord, uh, may you uh, work through me to equip all of us to be faithful in our evangelism. Be with us now. Pray these in your son's name. Amen. The book of Matthew begins with uh, the genealogy of Jesus. It's this book that, that highlights the kingship of Christ. And it begins with the genealogy so you can trace back all the way back to Adam and how Jesus is the second Adam. He's the one that you can trace back. Back then, uh, for the Jewish king, it had to be under a specific line. Genealogies matters to the Jews. And this book is written for Jews to know that the Messiah that's been promised all in the Old Testament is now in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. It is interesting that this book begins by stating the authority of Jesus through his bloodline, and at the very end, he talks about how all authority that is given to him. And it ends and begins with this idea of that Jesus Christ is our king. This, 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 the theme of this book is the kingship of Christ. So when you're reading this book, you can see how this is who our Savior is. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he is your king, and you are his slave. Evangelism first begins with the idea and this understanding that you know that Jesus Christ is your king, that he is your Lord and he is your Savior as well. But he is, he is your king. When we, in, the, in the NASB, there's this word, great commission. And we, we understand what that is, too. We, it's a common phrase. The reason why it's a great commission is not that it's a commission in the sense of, of like payment. You know, it's like, oh, I'm being commissioned to do this job. Like, okay, I'll pay you X amount of dollars to go do this. Uh, rather, the word great commission is the idea that there is a king, a royal king, giving you a directive under his authority to go and make disciples of all nations. This is, this is God's command to us because this is what he wants Christians to do. Our king instructs us to go invite people to his kingdom. Notice verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. The exact timing of this event is, is uncertain. Uh, we know that at some point in the past, Jesus has told them that he's going to go, uh, that they're supposed to meet him in this mountain. In Matthew 26, 32, it reads that this Christ saying this, and during the last supper, the last Passover, Jesus said, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Jesus said that when I die and come back to life, you will find me in Galilee. So he, and then these 11 disciples did that. At this point, this is the end of obviously Christ has risen from the dead, but the church has not begun yet. This is before, this is in between the resurrection and Acts chapter 2, somewhere in between the, those 40 days that Christ was on earth. At this point, this event happens. And he goes, these 11 disciples uh, proceeded and they went to where Jesus instructed them. And there's someone argue that there's actually more than just the 11, that there's actually perhaps 500 or so. Um, and Paul makes this reference in 1 Corinthians, how there was like a, a group of witnesses and along with 500 and the 11 disciples. And again, this location is where Christ instructed them to go in the past. And this was some sort of meeting spot. Some theologians and commentators think that this is exact. This location is exactly where Christ uh, transfigured himself in front of the three disciples. 
these disciples are there because Christ instructed them. And they followed Jesus' command in following him. And now Jesus wants to instruct them to go and have call other more people to follow Jesus. Verse uh, 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. There were these 11 disciples that saw Jesus, and they began to worship Jesus, but along with them, there were a group of other people that doubted. Um, this is just a humbling, submitting, and worshipping of Christ with those 11, and they know that Jesus Christ deserves all the glory and all the praise. Remember, these 11 disciples, they spent three years following Jesus. They, they spent three years witnessing Jesus do all of these miracles. They, they, all the things that he said that he would do, it came to pass. But even in their moments of, of, of fear and doubt, they fled from Jesus. And when they saw Jesus come back to life, when they saw Jesus in this mountain, uh, fulfilling the promise that he said earlier, that they now are now completely devoted to him. But yet there are still those, as we can see in this text, that there's some that doubt it. How can this be so? How can, the, how can some of these people still doubt? Well, perhaps some of these are, are practical reasons. Remember, this is Galilee, and they didn't have, like, television or any, like, microscope or anything. So perhaps some people saw Jesus from a distance, and they can't recognize him. So they're doubting, like, maybe that guy, that guy sounds like Jesus, and, but I don't know if he really is Jesus. And others may probably doubt him because they have no idea how to deal with the reality of this guy coming back to life. You know, it's not every day that they, they see someone die and come back, to, come back from the grave. Uh, and when I was in L.A., uh, there, were, there, was a, there was actually one time when I was riding in the car with my friend, and we looked at the rearview mirror, and we saw, uh, what's the guy in America, Simon Cowell, like, in our, like we saw him, we're like, oh, and he, he, he looked exactly the same. He wore the same T-shirt and everything. It's like, that's the only thing he wears. And we were like, hey, let's try to, like, Say hi to him. <laughs> because we were doing a double take. Is that really him? Because he kind of like he was wearing sunglasses and everything. He's like, I think that's him. So we were trying to like, he was behind us. So we tried like, like you know, slow down and then like have him go next to us. And eventually he just, we had to go in the freeway and he just drove away. Uh, we had to do this double take, you know. And I figured that's how it was, it was like, you know, and people being starstruck in our days. It's a similar in the sense of when people looked at Jesus again. They, they weren't sure if this is really who he is. They were like, is this really him? They wanted to believe, but then they need just a little more evidence and grace to have them to, to fully believe. Following Jesus requires God to continually give us grace. Again, this is not new, right? One of the disciples, Thomas, he doubted. Uh, he said that he only believed once he touched the side of Jesus. And even John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all, doubted Christ. And yet in our own fallen, sinful state, there will be moments of doubt. But when we, look at, when we look at how their doubts were cured, by Jesus drawing himself closer to him, verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He walked closer to them, and he intended to help dispel any doubt that any of them had, whether or not he's truly risen or the Messiah. And you'll notice that what is absent in this Disciples and followers of Jesus focus on what Jesus said instead of asking Jesus on to sh- instead of asking Jesus to show more signs and miracles. What it, Jesus walked up to them and he said he made the statement: "All authority has given to me in heaven and on earth." We have our moments of doubt whether or not Jesus and his message is true. We need to ask God for grace to draw us closer to Christ. You know, we have to ask God to help us in our unbelief. And when we ask God in our struggle with obeying him, not, only, not, not just only in evangelism, but in every other command of scripture as well, we need Jesus to be drawn closer to us so that we can remain faithful to him. We need to ask God for him to be, clear in, to be more clear in our lives whenever we lose focus on him. If Jesus doesn't come close to us, we will lose our path. That's why at the very end of Jude, Jude writes this in Jude chapter 1, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. It is God's working in your life that even though you have these moments of doubt, God is, when he, is the one that will keep you. God will draw close to you if you ask him for help. Jesus will hold us in those times of doubt. Do not flee 
but continue to look to Christ, and he will cause you to be drawn to him as he is drawn closer to you. Notice that in verse 18, Jesus said that all authority is given to him in heaven and on earth. This is a reference to Daniel 7:14. Daniel in the Old Testament prophesied that the Son of Man, the King, will completely rule and have dominion over all things. And uh, Jesus uses this phrase to highlight that he is the one that they were looking for and that he is the Messiah. He is their king. It is knowing that he is the king that was, prophe- that was prophesied that when Jesus gave this command, they realized that, okay, th- what he's saying is right and is true. Verse 19, this is the command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirits. The word go, therefore, is a participle that modifies a main verb. The main verb in this sentence is the word make disciples. This word make disciples in Greek nerdy uh, seminary things is an aorist imperative. Aorist is, is, is like a horizon line. There's like no end. It's, it's supposed to make you think that this is what defines you. Every part of your life should be defined by you making disciples. It is an imperative. It's a command. In, 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 our, in English, is, is make disciples, but it's, supposed to be, it's emphatic. We're supposed to, God gives us the directive to go and make disciples of all nations. Your life must be defined in making disciples. There is no end for that as Christians. Whether we're young in the faith or old in the faith, every moment of our lives, we're called to make disciples. That should be our characteristic. We should be known as disciple makers. Now, are you doing that? Are you, if someone was to ask you, describe me in one word, what would it be? It would be or describe, not maybe not one word, but describe you and your character, who you are. Will they say something in the line of disciple making? How are we to go and make disciples of all nations? Well, we first need to go. All of us need to be making disciples in our immediate surroundings and also support those who who are all over the world. This is why we have missionaries. We support them to go and make disciples in places that we can't go. We're sending them in our place to go and make disciples. This is why it is important that we support them. Last week, I was able to spend time with our, one of our mission, uh, Pastor Wayman and his wife. And uh, you know, they're doing these Bible training uh, all over the world. And they're, uh, they're, uh, they're training people to go and train more people how to study God's words. And all Christians are called to go out to the nation to call people to be followers of Jesus Christ. They're to be learners of Christ, just as we are. We share the gospel and the beauty of, and the beauty of Christ, and we're used by God to pour into others that are outside of the church. Remember in the Old Testament, the way that they did evangelism generally in the Old Testament is that they would stay in one area, they'll be faithful to the Lord and do all of his commands, and God will bless them. And, they will, and the, the whole world will see who they are, and they'll, they'll be drawn to him, drawn to the nation, and they eventually draw to, to Yahweh. Because of their rebellion, God decided to stop using the, the Jews and start using the Gentiles, and start using the church, the, the, the church age. In the New Testament, God has called us to go out into the world and call people to repentance and so they can enter the kingdom of God. I think sometimes we forget that. Like, New Testament commandment of evangelism is to go out. I think we tend to just kind of isolate ourselves with other Christians, thinking that we just hang out with other Christians and non-believers look at us and be drawn to us. Yes, your life will, uh, can do that, but we have to go and actually speak and, and call people to repentance. We cannot be people that, uh, we cannot be a people that, that, folk, that, that define by living just with just Christians. That's the Old Testament way of evangelism. We need to go out because our lives are not our own. If Christ is your king, then you belong to him. And all that you do in this life must go and declare and live out what is revealed in his word. Notice, he said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll talk more about baptism in a few weeks when we, when we go through the ordinances. Um, but just know for now that the first evidence of a, a person who truly believed that Jesus Christ is Lord is baptism. Baptism doesn't save a person, but the first act of obedience that you truly have faith in Jesus Christ is baptism. Uh, and again, we'll talk more about baptism in a few weeks when we go through the church ordinances. Um, but for now, we'll, uh, we'll continue on with the passage. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
This means that your discipleship within the life of a new believer is to be marked by teaching them all that the Bible has, all that you know about God's word, all that the Bible has to offer, all that Jesus has revealed about himself through his word is what you must teach to some who do not know it. This should call to us to be more faithful in our personal devotion to God's word, both in terms of our private study or when we're at a Sunday school or when we're or, or in some sort of public study of scripture like preaching. Every time you go to a Sunday school church service or church service, Friday night or wherever, listening to a podcast or, or um, going to conferences, or whatever you get a chance to learn God's word, it is supposed to equip you to know God's word better so that when the opportunity comes for you to go and teach it to someone, you'll be ready, that you'll be equipped to go and, and impart what you know to somebody else. Don't waste the opportunity you have in learning God's word, whether it's through your own devotional time or the preaching of God's word. The more, you, the more attentive you are in knowing more of God's word, the more you're able to fulfill this commandment, teaching them all that I commanded you, all the things that Christ has commanded us. As the word of God transformed your life, you will need to own God's word even more. And that is to change your heart to be more like your Savior. So you'll think, you have the mind of Christ, and you'll teach God's word faithfully. And then you're called to ask, it's not just knowing all of these things and keeping it to yourself. All the things that you learn, you just will go and teach it to others. And in reality, the, the only way, I mean, you'll, you'll be done with evangelism if Christ calls you home, but in terms of disciple making, if you could teach someone the entire Bible and everything the Bible has to offer, then good, you've done all that you can. But in reality, we know that the scriptures are so complex in terms of how deep it is and how much doctrine there are that you will take several lifetimes or perhaps maybe not even several lifetimes to be able to do that. So we're constantly teaching people God's word. Notice that, again, this teaching what God has commanded. This is a time when the around when Jesus did, the Pharisee attempted to, to add to what God's word has to say. Jesus had to course correct many of what the Pharisees taught because they were teaching things that were contrary to God's word. They were more binding as opposed to showing them the grace and mercy of their God. This is why Jesus told them to listen to what Jesus has commanded and not what the Pharisees taught them. All that Jesus said was to direct them to the way that God actually wanted them to live as opposed to the man-made religions at the time. And this is important because when we evangelize and when we make disciples, it must never be teaching and discipling them for the sake of changing this person to the image of ourselves. When we teach, when we have someone in our life that, that, uh, that the Lord has entrusted, into the, entrusted us with, we must be willing to go and teach them God's word as opposed to what we think uh, they should do. This is why in James it tells not many of us should be teachers because we have a stricter judgment. But at the same time, the, uh, we were called to go and teach those who do not know God's word. So this is not a contradiction. It's just a warning that when you teach God's word, you have to know God's word and you have to teach it accurately. So know your stuff. Spend time studying God's word so that when you go and someone asks you, and either a non-Christian or new Christian asks you, hey, can you teach me what the Bible has to say? You can do that. You can do it faithfully. You can speak with boldness and with conviction that what you're saying is exactly what God wanted them to hear. Notice uh, at the end of verse 20, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see this word here, and in NES it uses the word lo, and this idea is, is look at here, or behold, or get this. It is emphatic. It's understand this reality that I am always with you. This is a promise of Jesus. It's, 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 it's to take the point home that as you are doing the seemingly impossible task to go out into the nations, people who may hate you, who want to kill you, you are to go out to those people and declare to them that Jesus Christ is a Savior. And that seems like a daunting task. But he's saying, understand that I am with you always. This word always means exactly what you think it means. It means always. It literally, it reads, I am with you all the days. The word encompasses the idea of day and night, from sunrise to sunset, from now until the end of time, and in every circumstance, in every trial, in every situation, in every moment of your life, God is with you. What a great friend that we have in Jesus. Uh, whenever, I remember in 
if you ever done evangelism, whether it was with college or with church, generally one of the things that they tell you or people instruct you as a way to help you with evangelism, that you take someone with you, that you go in pairs. And I know in the book of Acts, people went out in twos and stuff, but I don't think that's like just like a command, like you have to do two, otherwise you're not doing evangelism faithfully. Uh, but I get the principle in that sometimes you can go with two, if you go with two people or go with someone else, it's helpful because you have backup, you know, in case you get stumped by some cult, you don't, you're not drawn, but someone else can help and, you know, course correct or help you argue or debate or, you know, share the gospel with someone. Or in some cases, it's, it's, it's someone that you're discipling, you want to train them to be a you know, stronger evangelist. I get that. But I think generally when people want to go into in our modern day, it, it is because it's more the fear reason. It's this, this idea of, like, okay, I'm too afraid to go by myself. And you have someone with you, you have someone to fall back on, and the reality there is that in all evangelism, you, at, at minimum, you have Christ. So whether you're by yourself, you're talking to 700 people, or you have a group of people with you, the greatest comfort should not be the people that you have, but the greatest comfort is that you have Jesus, that Jesus is with you all the days long. And he will never leave you. As great as having your pastor or your small group leader or your friend, your spouse, whoever is mature in the faith to go with you, there is no better company when it comes to evangelism than our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is an assurance that God is always going to be with us wherever we go and make disciples. This is the greatest comfort to us who are struggling with evangelism. Oftentimes you may feel alone, but the reality is that you're not alone. Your other believing friends and family may not be with you as you're attempting to share the gospel with someone, but Jesus is there. You have a confidence in Christ. So the question then is, what is causing you fear in evangelism? Remember that the remedy for that is to know our God more. To know that no matter how difficult things may be, God is with you. In Luke 12, it tells us that God will give us the right words to say. He's, he's always there with us. He will be with us until the end of the age. Meaning that he will be with us until now, until we see him again. That he will always be there for us. We, will, he's next, we don't see him now, but he's with us. And the moment we die, we'll see him. And he can say, yeah, I was with you the whole time. This is the assurance that we have in our Savior. Which then gets to our next point. This, that's the command of the Great Commission. The second was, how do we fulfill this Great Commission? How do we fulfill this, um, this command that God wants us to do? Well, I have four kind of subheadings and points that you can kind of hang your thoughts in. These general biblical principles as a way for you to be a better evangelist. One, the first one is to pray. To pray. How do you fulfill the Great Commission? First, you pray. Colossians 4, verse 2 to 4. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open the door, open up to us a door for the words that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul here is in prison. And yet he's saying that he's praying for those opportunities. When he's talking about the door open up, it's not just like, oh, the prison doors will open up. Though I think he's playing like almost like a, a double meaning that, yeah, not just that the door, physical door will open where people come in or that he can go out, but that the opportunity will come. He's praying for these opportunities for those who do not know Christ so that he can have opportunity to speak the, uh, the gospel into their life. At the same time, you cannot expect Christ to open the door of evangelism if you aren't praying for it. If you're not devoting some time in your prayer to say, God, give me opportunity to share the gospel with this individual, or even in general, you will not have those opportunities. If you want your loved ones to hear and know Jesus, they need to hear from you. And perhaps you may be the only one in their life that knows the gospel. So keep praying for those opportunities. Pray for those moments where God will give you uh, a chance to go and share God's word. And that he, not only he give you opportunity, but he gives you the right things to say. Again, the Lord promises us that he will be with us. And the Lord will give you the grace to be able to faithfully declare God's word. But at first, it begins with prayer. You need to pray to the Lord for opportunities. Uh, not only do we need to pray for that, but uh, we also need to live it out. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. You are the salt of the world. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? 
is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You need to live your faith out, not just with other Christians, but with your non-Christian friends and family or coworkers. You know, the more faithful you are in your work, you know, when you're not grumbling or complaining, it's, it's attractive. You know, even if the company's falling apart and you're just thankful to the Lord, if you're not reacting because you trust in God's sovereignty, that makes pe- people want that. People want to know you're so, how you're so calm and secure. You know, and when everyone's complaining about something, whether it's politics or just complaining in general, you understand that the Bible tells us to do all things without grumbling and complaining. And it promises us that you will be like lights in a dark, in a dark and dying world. The more you are living in the world and not of the world, and the more you get opportunity to be among non-Christians, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to, to live out the gospel. You can't expect to be a light if you hide in the church or your home or your or whatever comfort zone that, you, that you're in. You actually need to go out in the world. Not only do we need to pray for this opportunity or live it out or be a light to the world, but next we also need to go. We need to go out and make disciples. Christ said earlier, that you, therefore go. And in Romans 10, 14 to 15 tells us this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent out? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of, of those who bring good news of good things. You'll notice that this is in Matthew 28, verse 16, that the 11 showed up. You know, they showed up because God told them to. They went to the place where God had, de- had wanted them to go. And where you are in your life, you're, there's going to be people in your life, wherever God has placed you, that's where God wants you to be. And you're called to be faithful, and with those people in your life, you need to go to them. You need to actually make the effort to go and, and, and sit down and talk with them and share the faith. Where God wants you to be, it is where he wants you to go, and you must go and witness to those people in, their, in, in your circle. That's how, what it means for us to go and make disciples. Again, not all of you are going to be called to go in different countries and different places, but you are called to go and make disciples with those around you. Think of just even one person in your life who needs Christ. Think about that person and go to them with the gospel. Not only do we need to pray, to live, and to go, but lastly, and I think it's obvious, but we need to speak. We need to speak. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We are called to go and speak the truth in love. You cannot expect people to know the gospel if they watch you. And yes, when people watch you, they will draw an interest, but looking at your life will not convict them of sin and making them, well, it might convict them of sin, but it will not tell them that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right, like they, your life will just make people interested in what makes you different, but you need to go and actually tell them why you do what you do. Why do you live the way that you live? Why do you have the joy? Why do you have all? Why are you so calm? Why are you so uh, thankful? All of these different things that you are called to live. At some point, you have to use words to explain that your hope and your joy is found in Christ. Again, a person cannot be converted if they do not hear the gospel. You need to be willing to go and share the gospel with your words. I think a common question that people ask is, well, how do I do this? How do I share the gospel? And I think all of us generally know how to share the gospel because if I was asked you how you came to know the Lord, at some point, there's going to be general like, like, uh, markers of, of, uh, of salvation. You know, whenever I do a membership interview, I ask them, how did you come to know the Lord? And there are certain things I'm looking at. There are certain things I'm looking for. Um, and generally, it's, it, it's, it's there. And here's the four things I look for. When I, and it, it, can, it may be helpful for you if you were to evangelize. There's four general categories. So this is like a subcategory of another subcategory. But there are four things, four things that, that I generally, whenever I share the gospel somewhere, when I do church membership, when I have, I'm trying to figure out if someone is a believer or not, here are the four things I think about. It's four easy categories. God, man, Christ, and sin. 
Those, those are four general categories. And when you think about when sharing the gospel, we'll just start with God. God, you understand that like at some point in your gospel presentation, you need to share that there is a God, that God created and owns everything. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord and all, and it, and all it contains, the world and, and those who dwell in it. Uh, that God owns everything, that everything in this world, everything you see belongs to him. And when, when people share the testimony, they'll say that, oh, at some point God uh, showed himself through the gospel. So they acknowledge that there is a, a deity out there named God. But again, some people may believe in God, but they don't believe in the God of the Bible. So then from there, I usually go from okay, God, and the next one's man. So that, like, this God that exists, who owns everything, uh, we've sinned against this, this God, Romans 3, 10, there is none righteous, uh, not even one. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned, and none of us can, can pay for our own sin. In fact, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6. Uh, all of us um, uh, have sinned against the Lord, and the consequence of that sin is death. And that changes in terms of how you share the gospel with someone, right? And it kind of leads to sin as well. Um, when you talk about man and sin, yes, they're, they're going to think, okay, well, I might have sinned, but I've done good deeds. And you have to remember that all of us cannot achieve that. You know, how many good things you have to do in order to, to wipe away your sin. And usually when people say, like, like well, I've done all these good things, like an illustration that I use is, like, how many cats does Hitler need help get out of a tree for, for everyone to be cool with what he did? And generally, they can, it's supposed to get them to think that, yeah, there are certain things that we commit in this life that is a sin against the Lord, and that there's no way for us to pay it. There has to be some sort of judgment. You know, so it's God, man, sinners. And the sinners, we're all called to repent. We're all called to go and turn from our sin, that we must believe uh, that all of our actions are sin against the Lord, and that we need Christ, which gets the last category, Christ. That Christ came into the world both as God and sinless man, and he came to die on the cross for our sins. That this Christ lived a perfect life, and he, he rose from the grave. It is crucial that you actually have the resurrection because if Christ was still in the tomb, then our faith is worthless, right? 1 Corinthians 15. And you know this, right? I mean, if you're in this church, as a Bible-teaching church, you know that these are the things that you, that, um, on how you share the gospel. These general four categories is what we all use, God, man, sin, and Christ. And this is to help us to be able to fulfill the Great Commission as a starting point. And I know that there's all these different types of evangelism um, methods out there, and they all somewhat uh, have the same idea and that we need Christ. And how you go about it, you just need to exercise a general principle. Some people may not, some people may understand that there's sin, and you can offer them the hope uh, in Christ for those who understand that they are a sinner and they need someone to wash away their sin. Others may not understand um, who Christ is, and you kind of emphasize on that. You know, the Bible gives and tells exactly in terms of how we need to share the gospel. It just gives us truth and principles on how we communicate the gospel. So those are the, the two things, that we know what the Great Commission is, and we know how to fulfill those Great Commission. Uh, this is the mission in our life. This is the mission of all believers. We're, we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that God has commanded no matter how busy life gets, remember our mission. Don't forget the true task that, uh, that's at hand. This is why you are here. It's not about making money. It's not about finding a spouse. It's not about having kids or anything in this world. The reason why you are alive today and why the church is still here is to make disciples of all nations, is to go and declare Christ to all. Before you came to know Christ, you were aimless and you were aimless, but you're, you're still, you're aimless in terms of purpose. And yet, with well, the moment you came to know Christ, Christ gave you a, a purpose in life. In your life, it's, it belongs to him. You're supposed to live for the glory of God. And what gives God the most glory is when sinners turn and repent. When they get, forsake their own sin and they place their faith in Christ. Luke 15 tells us that angels rejoice whenever one person repents. You and I are called with this commission that God has given us to go and make disciples of all nations. And as a way to kind of um, allow us to be a little bit more interactive, I had some discussion questions that we, had, we, can use, that we can talk through so that we can be better in terms of evangelism. Uh, so there are these three questions. 
uh, who in our lives that are we praying for in hopes that one day God will give us opportunity to share the gospel with? Um, this is actually that first question. It's something I actually ask all the people in the mercy ministry to. That there's just at least minister to one person. You, you, you know, all of these events, these are great. But just think of one person in your life that you want to devote in prayer and also commit to going and share the gospel with them. Second, what are some ways we can make time for evangelism in our lives? Uh, some of you guys know that um, you know, we have our kindred things. We have our different types of like, church events. But I'm th- I want you guys to think, what, what about your own personal life? You know, what, what, throughout the week, what are some things that you can do to make time to win the loss? Some people might be like to go on a college campus or to a mall uh, or even just down their neighborhood. You know, what are some of the things, ways you can come up with to make time for evangelism? Uh, third, what are the fears that we have in sharing the gospel? In what ways can we fight against the fear of sharing the gospel with those who has entrusted, who, who, has, who those God has entrusted in our lives? Um, I think this is. Uh, I think this, these questions are supposed to help us, as you discuss, uh, to encourage one another and also to keep each other accountable. If this is a command from the Lord that we that he, He's instructed us, then if, again, failure. Failure to do it, and by failure, I mean not wanting to do it. Uh, not evangelizing isn't sin, but not wanting to evangelize is sin. You know, this is a command from the Lord for us to go and make disciples, and if we don't do it, we're sinning against him. Um, so before we break up into these into groups, just find three or four people around you uh, and, to, and just go over some of these questions. And as, uh, as you discussed it, um, you get to know how you can encourage, get to know each other so you can know how you can encourage each other uh, to be able to fulfill uh, God's commission for the church. Um, So before we break up into groups of three and four, uh, let me close our time in prayer. Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to represent you in this city, in this time. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for just the, the abilities that you've uh, given us and just opportunity for us to know your word more and where we are privileged to be able to be in a time where we have so much resources and, to, and different ways to dive deep into your word uh, but lord we want to go beyond just hearing your words or, or learning uh, but we want to be doers of your word um, be with us um, not just tonight but every single day as we uh, witness to those that are in our lives. Um, Give us the encouragement and the boldness to be able to share the gospel. Be with us now as we uh, go over these questions, uh, as we talk about how we can be a better evangelist in our lives, um, that that it doesn't end here, uh, that we we commit ourselves uh, to go and and minister to those who don't know you. Um, Lord, we know that eternity is at stake and it is a joy to be able to be redeemed uh, by, uh, through the work of your son. Uh, but Lord, we want others, we want, we want everyone in our lives to know you. Um, give us clarity and boldness uh, and opportunity as we uh, represent you in this world. Lord, come quickly. Uh, we long to see you. Uh, but until then, we do want to be faithful with what you've given us, the task that you've entrusted us with. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.